This weekend, I drove back to the city of my youth to attend a memorial service for a friend from my childhood. In the face of death, we say yes to life and celebrate the person who enriched our lives. Those of us who, like me, knew the child and the teen, heard of her later struggles with pain and loss and her dedication to helping others. And those who only knew her later in life learned of her young desire for a boyfriend, a car, and a job. And together, we all came to know a view of the wholeness of this friend, this sister, this daughter, this aunt, who has now departed. And in so doing, we help her to live on in memory, in the ways she changed the lives of everyone around her and in our love. These words by Alicia Carpenter capture for me a bit of who my friend was, how she lived, and how she touched those around her. Just as long as I have breath, I must answer yes to life. Though with pain I made my way, still with hope I meet each day. If they ask what I did well, tell them I said yes to life. Just as long as my heart beats, I must answer yes to love. Disappointment pierced me through, and still I kept on loving you. If they ask what I did best, tell them I said yes to love. Welcome to episode 155 of The Recovery Show. Because I drove 900 miles this weekend, and in memory of the loss of my friend, I'm replaying an older episode about loss in its entirety. I hope it speaks to your life. Welcome to episode 76 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Jennifer. She used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Jennifer, for your generous contribution. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. What do you do when you lose someone close to you? Today we are going to talk about loss. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of loss. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your solo host today. The first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show is the discussion of the topic loss. Following a musical break, I will talk about my life in recovery, about what's happening in the meetings I attend and in my life. We will follow that with some brief news about the podcast before closing with another musical break. I wanted to start with a reading. This is from the Al-Anon book, Opening Our Hearts, Transforming Our Losses, and it's uh, on page 97. There is perhaps no greater loss, and certainly none more permanent, than the death of a loved one. Many of us have been shocked to receive the news of our loved one's sudden death, while others may have been watching slow deterioration over the years. The death of a loved one leaves a lasting imprint on our hearts, whether we have lost a spouse or partner, child, family member, pet, friend, or sponsor. Through the, though the process of grieving is similar in any loss, our grief can be different depending on the relationship. 
and feels different to lose a child instead of a spouse or to lose a parent rather than a sibling. Many of us affected by the disease of alcoholism often have closer relationships with friends than we do with family. For us, the death of a friend can be more devastating than the death of a family member. A death due to alcoholism can also feel different from other deaths we may have experienced. When our loved one dies without sobriety, lost too is any hope that the alcoholic would find help. We grieve for the relationship we yearn for with our loved one and for the many ways alcoholism has affected our lives. We might feel as if we have a whole lifetime of losses to mourn. The truth is, we have been grieving long before our loved one's death. Why am I talking about loss this week? On uh, on Tuesday, my daughter, who's 23 years old, came to me with the phone to her ear and a stricken look on her face to tell me that one of the young women in the house she had lived in for the past year had just died sudden, had suddenly. Um, and she didn't know what to do. She thought she wanted to go back to the, the city that, that she had been living in when she was at school, as she put it, to, to be there for her friends. And my thought was that she really needed to be there for herself and that I think being there, saying she wanted to be there for her friends was sort of her socially acceptable way of framing that. So this was about midnight on Tuesday. I was almost in bed. I got up again. I uh, drove her down an hour away to the train station so she could catch a train um, back to that city. And she's still there. Um, and uh, I think I'll talk a little more um, as I move on about the ways in which we're all, we're all dealing with this. But, you know, here's a 25-year-old uh, young woman, uh, very promising life in front of her, uh, tragically cut short through an accident that may or may not have been related to drinking and drug use. And there's a lot of conflicted feelings um, I think, you know, although this was somebody that uh, my daughter lived with, it was, and and she was, you know, I met her and she was a very nice person, but I think she also, uh, my daughter also had some issues with her and, and I'm sure that conflicts the feeling somewhat as well. And for some reason, I don't, I don't completely understand. Um, this death hit me as well. Um, and as I've been talking with people about it during the week, I find myself uh, tearing up, choking up a little bit. And I think, I don't know. I don't know exactly why that is. I find myself facing the question, uh, you know, how can somebody be there one minute and then just suddenly not be there anymore? And it's, this is not the first death that, you know, has been close to me, but and and I'm not that close, but it it really hit me. And maybe maybe I'm being a little codependent. Maybe I'm feeling my daughter's feelings. This is entirely possible. Uh, in fact, it it's probably likely. So, you know, it was interesting for me to sort of look at well, what have I learned about dealing with loss and dealing with grief? In, in my years in the program. 
and the ways in which I'm trying to gently um, give that experience uh, to my daughter as she struggles with, uh, you know, her feelings and understanding of, of what happened and what happens now, you know, and, and I look back, I look back and, uh, how did I deal with losses like this in the past? I don't think I really felt them. I know that, that I, I might've cried a little bit about something, but I think I stuffed a lot of feelings. I tried to ignore them. Occasionally tried to numb them. Um, you know, I guess I'm, I'm glad I'm not an alcoholic because, you know, that's, that's one of the ways that, that I might have got it started you know, trying to numb feelings from a loss. I know that I isolated is a pattern for me. When things are not going well, I isolate. Many, many years ago now, um, 35 years ago, yeah, close to that, I, uh, my first wife um, decided to leave. And we had been married. We got married in, in college. Uh, we had been married about three years. And, you know, looking back, I can see that, that we were just moving apart. Our lives were not really going in the same direction. And her life took her uh, 2,000 miles away from where we were living for a job. But it also, we knew that it really meant the end of our, our marriage. Luckily, there were there were no children. As I said, we had you know our custody battle was over the the parrot, not over um, you know no children, very little property in common because we were students and so we didn't own a lot. Um, but when she left, um, I found myself going into this pattern of staying up really late at night. And then, you know, falling asleep when I was exhausted and, and waking up in the middle of the day and, and repeating that pattern over and over again. And only, you know, only interacting with people when I had to. And certainly not talking to anybody about the feelings I was having. Um, I think there were a couple of times when, when I broke that pattern. Um, I remember having some long conversations with a friend when we were uh, traveling to go to a, a conference to, and, and because of, you know, expenses, we were sharing a hotel room. So there was definite opportunities to, to talk late into the evening. And, and I know that I took advantage of that to some extent. Uh, but for the most part, I isolated and stuffed. And I, you know, I contrast that to um, a more recent experience where uh, a friendship ended and, I think, you know, that day, that, that, that evening I was at a meeting and, and I shared something about, you know, this, this friendship that I had just ended. Um, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know really yet how I feel about it except sad. Um, but I was right out there and I was talking about it and I've continued to talk about it. And that, that has really helped, um, you know, it helped me to feel, feel the feelings, you know, to feel the, the grief and feeling it to help to accept 
the truth of what has happened um, and to acknowledge that there's grief and and to be able to uh, you know to take care of myself while I'm dealing with it and you know with acceptance to not just feel like there was this thing and now it's gone but to be able to have gratitude for for what there was to acknowledge that that there there was good there uh, and just because it's over doesn't make it not good uh, and uh, understanding that that life is full of change so I talked to my daughter so she calls and she talked about a, a mutual friend who was still living in this house and how you know her friend is feeling guilty about what happened because she feels like she she could have should have been able to do something to prevent it. Um, very natural feeling uh, when somebody dies uh, in a way that, you know, is is a result of some actions they took and you think uh, that yeah, I, should have, I should have been there. I should have been able to stop it. I should have been able to, you know, keep them from doing this thing or I should have been able to rescue them before it became fatal. So then we had to talk about the fact that, that we are not, in this program, you know, we are not responsible for how somebody else lives their life. Uh, we are not responsible for, for taking care of our friends to sort of watch them 24-7 just in case they do something stupid, uh, just in case... They might hurt themselves. We, we can be there. This is not our job. It's not our responsibility for, for other adults. I mean, obviously, when my children were young and relatively helpless, I had a, a major responsibility to watch them and to do things to make sure they, weren't, they wouldn't fall down the stairs or stick their fingers in an electrical socket or burn themselves on the stove or open the, open the cupboard door and pull out some cleaning liquid and, and drink it. I mean, the, the, that was my responsibility then, but for somebody who's 25 years old, that is not my responsibility. And, and, you know, it's, it's natural to feel guilt when a friend dies that we could have done something to stop it. Um, but I expressed to my daughter that it's also, uh, it's not our job uh, and that we can feel that maybe we could have done something, but we didn't do it. And it, and we didn't do it because it, it wasn't ours to do. <sighs> I think she's still struggling with that, that there were people there that sort of knew what was going on and, and could have intervened, should have intervened, but they didn't really know, you know, they didn't know that this, that this woman was endangering herself in that way that, that she was. I mean, she was private and, uh, it happened. I think there's also a lot of uncertainty. You know, they know the, the sort of physical details of how this woman died, but, um, they don't know what factors led up to that. Uh, they're pretty sure she was drinking. She may have been doing some other drugs and it's very likely that that contributed um, they may never know. And, and this is hard also. Uh, 
when we suffer a loss and we don't understand why it happened. We just know that it happened. Um, you know, last summer, my doctor, who was also a friend, uh, was killed in a car crash. Uh, he was the only person in the car, which uh, drove into a bridge abutment at 70 miles an hour after you know, veering across the highway and into the median. And we don't know what happened. We do know that, that he was a very cheerful guy um, and that it's very, very unlikely that he did it himself. So something happened. Um, you know, he had a seizure or, or something that caused him to lose control of the car, maybe lose control of himself. And the consequence was death. Very unexpected. And, and not knowing, you know, not knowing what happened is, makes it, makes it harder to accept. And we work through it. We work through it by expressing our grief. We work through it by talking to our friends about the life of our loved one, about what we remember, about the things that were special about him or, or, or about her in the case of my daughter's friend. My daughter uh, wrote on Facebook yesterday, I think. She said, you know how holograms work? Well, not how they work, but how they end up. You can cut them up, shatter them into tiny pieces, and you'll still be able to see the image they record. Holograms can be badly made and broken in such a way that you can only see part of the image, and they only work right if you look at them using the right kind of light. Douglas Hofstadter says, though using different words, that we all carry imperfect holographs of each other in our heads. We all live in each other's minds as incomplete fragments viewed with light not entirely of the correct wavelength. And after we die, these fuzzy and fragmented images are all that's left of us. You can't put a physical hologram back together to restore the image if it wasn't recorded correctly in the first place. But we can show each other our holograms of each other and re-record, defuzz, and expand our fragmented, degraded images. After someone dies, that's all we can do. It isn't a perfect process, but neither is it nothing. Uh, you know, and I can see in that um, the things that she's learning. Um, this, is, this is her first experience with death close-up. Her first experience of somebody who was, you know, in her life in some significant way dying. Um, as we were talking the other day, she, she spoke about the death of her grandfather, um, which was well, seven years ago now. And she said, you know, I didn't have a, a grandpa-shaped hole in me afterwards because he was never a big part of my life. You know, he lived far away. We would see them about maybe, we'd see him maybe once a year for a few days. So she didn't have a hole to fill in when he died. This is, you know, this this person... This friend of hers left a hole, and and she's working to to start to fill that hole in. And I like the I like the image of the hologram. You know that the why why do we why do we need to why do we need to sit and talk about the person we lost? Um, it's it's because we have this fuzzy image. Often we have this fuzzy image of them in our heads, and we want to remember them. We want to know them as a more complete person. 
than they were, than, than we know them as, because we, we have no further chance to get to know them in this life. I had a comment on the website from Sharon uh, about this topic. She said, Hi, Spencer, at all. I think loss is a great topic, as I've, I am of the firm opinion that over 80% of recovery is grief work, whatever the loss. We all need to deal with the grief of our past, not looking like what we perceived other families to have. And until we come to terms with it, we can become spiritually and emotionally stuck. Some program friends and I are starting a book group around the book, Opening Our Hearts, Transforming Our Losses. This seems to be a good method of delving into the work of forgiving our families for real or perceived wrongs. Thank you, Sharon. And thank you, Sharon. Uh, and that reminded me that I had that book so I could go to it and, and find the reading that I opened the uh, opened this episode with. One of the things that, that I uh, found in the, in the book when I opened it, uh, I actually had a bookmark at the chapter about uh, taking care of yourself. And I think I want to read briefly from from where that bookmark is. This is on page 146 in Opening Our Hearts, Transforming Our Losses. As we become more comfortable tending to our basic needs, we may find it easier to branch out and try new ways of taking care of ourselves. Making time each day to check in with ourselves, even if it's only for a few minutes, allows us to see what kind of attention we need. We most need. The following list might help if we are not sure where to begin. Am I nurturing my body by eating right, exercising, and getting plenty of rest? Am I taking time for myself and participating in activities I enjoy? Am I honoring my feelings? Am I, am I allowing myself whatever time I need to grieve? Am I able to ask for help? Am I spending time in daily prayer and meditation with my higher power? Am I getting to enough meetings? Am I reaching out to my sponsor or another Al-Anon friends? Am I making use of Al-Anon literature when I can't get to meetings or talk to someone? We would most likely feel overwhelmed if we had to tend to all our needs at once. This is not about perfection. It's about making the effort to treat ourselves better. And again, I, I, you know, I see my daughter doing these things, and maybe she learned it from me. I don't know. You know, I, it's always a miracle and, and a wonder. Where do our children? Where do our children learn these things that we look at them and say, "Wow, you're growing up." You know. So she went back. She went back to the, the city she was living in for college, to the house um, that she had been living in where, where this friend died. And she realized that she could not stay there and be emotionally healthy. Uh, so she is staying with another friend uh, for most, most of the time. But she also reached out to one of her professors who I think has been sort of a father figure to her at at college and, you know, reached out to him and said, Hey, can I, can I come and just talk to you about some stuff that's not this just so that I have a break. And, and she ended up, um, I think spending one night uh, at his house with his family, you know, a totally normal family that was not involved in this tragedy. And you know, that's taking care of herself by giving herself some space to not be immersed in it all the time and talking with her friends about what, you know, not just about what happened, but, you know, filling, as she says, filling in the hologram, um, remembering the good and getting enough to eat, getting enough sleep. Um, she's doing these things. How did she learn to do this? Uh, 
maybe I mean, she she has not been in the program, but maybe maybe she learned some from me. Who knows? It's and you know we can react to to we react to loss in different ways, um, depending on our our relationship with the you know the person on our understanding of them. And I remember some years ago, um, my wife's cousin who. She said they they grew up together. They were almost sort of twins for a while. They were pretty much the same age and I think lived next to next door to each other or something. Played together all the time. And this cousin uh, struggled with with drug addiction for most of his adult life. I think, and I didn't really know him that well. I think I might have met him once. And a few years ago, he killed himself. And what she said to me was effectively that, you know, he was no longer in the pain of his struggle with addiction. Um, you know, that was, and, and she was sad. She was saddened by the fact that, you know, he had, he had felt that he had to take that way out, that he had no alternative. But I think she also felt a measure of peace, um, that that you know his pain was was no longer continuing for him. How how else do we deal with with our loss and our grief? We need to take care of ourselves. Um, we can pray. We can pray for comfort. We can pray for understanding. We can pray for release. Um, we can pray that we can let go. Dear God, this is hard. Give me a moment where I can let go of it. I find great help in in talking about talking about my feelings, um, not stuffing them with you know an appropriate person, obviously. Um, being you know being open. This week, people would say, "How are you doing?" I say, "Well, not so well, not so well." I'm I'm trying to understand. You know, this life cut short. You know, we take it one day at a time, and that is something that that most of us, I think, have probably learned pretty well if we've been in the program for a little while. So I don't, I don't have to understand. I don't, you know, I don't have to understand how I'm going to make it the rest of my life without a loved one in it. Um, I only have to make it through today. And you know, I face this. I face this with my mother, who's in failing health. Um, she's 83 this year. Yeah. 83 and, and more and more fragile every time I see her. And, you know, she doesn't live close. So it would be really easy for me to, to isolate, to say, I don't want to, I don't want to see her like this, but I do need to, I do need to see her. I need to, you know, to have what time is left, whatever that might be. It might be. It might be several more years. It might, and it might not. Um, and it's hard to to be there, but I know I can do it. I can do it for a day. I can do it for the next day. And maybe I need to go to a meeting. Maybe I need to make a program phone call. Um, but but I don't have to. I don't have to know how am I going to, you know, live with this for however long it takes. I only have to know 
that I can, I can live with it today and I can let go of, you know, there's a lot of fear. Um, and it's, it's sort of, I mean, it's not a huge fear, but I have to recognize that, you know, I am afraid she's going to die. I know she's going to die, but I'm afraid that it's going to happen, you know, sooner rather than later. Uh, and I can uh, pray for release from the fear and I can, I can, you know, I can live with it today. Um, I can recognize it. If I don't recognize it, it has more control over me. When I recognize that this is what it is, um, you know, then I can use my tools. I can, I can bring it out in the open and I can say, yeah, I see you. Now I'm going to let go of you. I know you're there, but I'm going to let go of you and, and I can be okay. So loss is never easy. And loss that comes unexpected is, is harder. But I do have tools today to let me acknowledge my grief, to feel my feelings, whatever they might be. You know, why do I, why do I get teary-eyed and choked up over a young woman who I, I met once but who had some importance in the life of my daughter. I, you know, I don't have to understand why that is. I just have to, to see that it is and feel it and, and, and move through the pain, move through the, um, the, whatever it is, grief, fear, something. Just move through it, feel it, and, and then let it go. And when it comes up again, I can do the same thing because I know that I'm going to be okay. You know, Sharon talked about grief of the past not looking like what we wanted it to be or what we thought it should be. And certainly there is that. You know, I have that in, in my life. I occasionally think, although not so much these days, you know, back back when I was just starting into this recovery process, I would think, well, you know, why did I marry this person? And what, what if I hadn't? You know, what if I had not gone to my friend's house the day that, that she moved into town to meet her? What if I had not pursued a relationship uh, with, you know, sort of all the intensity of, of an un, unreconstructed, unrecovered codependent, which I certainly did? Um, you know, acting out of, uh, I think acting out of the, the stuffed feelings about uh, my first wife having left six months earlier. You know, what if? Well, what if? I mean, what I know is I would have missed a lot of joy along the way. And maybe I would have had different joy. And maybe I would have just found a different alcoholic to marry too. And and understanding that, you know, following that what if, following that what if is not helping me. It's not helpful. It It gets me nowhere except sort of wound up I can I can recognize that you know our life was not maybe what I thought it was going to be when I was in my 20s and we got married I don't know had some kind of picture of you know I was going to be a professor and she was going to be a scientist and and we were going to have a great life with a you know wonderful children and a nice house uh, I think when you know, visualized having a house out in the country somewhere. And, you know, none of that. I mean, I have two wonderful children. Um, 
I'm not a professor. She's not a scientist. Uh, you know, those things didn't happen. And is there some sadness there? Yes, there is. But do I recognize also that, you know, there was a lot of good in what I do have and what I did have, and that is also true. Um, you know, Alan, it gives me the, the ability, working the steps, and, and in particular the inventory, um, gives me the ability to look at my life more clearly and to see the good as well as the, the bad. And, and, and instead of dwelling on the things that I didn't have, the things that I don't have, um, I can be grateful in the things that I do have. Because, you know, if I, if I compare myself to the other people around me, I can always find somebody who is in some way better off than me. And I can look at that person and say, why don't I have what that person has? But I, I can also just, I can look at what I have and say, you know, what I have is good. This is true. Um, reminds me of the Cheryl Crow song where she says, uh, how does that go? It's not having what you want. It's wanting what you have and something like that. And when I'm always comparing myself to, to, to somebody else who's, wow, they're like traveling all the time and they're going to Europe and they're going to, and I'm not doing these things. And that, well, that's true. Okay. I'm not, I, I, I'm not doing those things. I have done things like that in the past. I will probably do things like that in the future. And right now my life is in a place where those things are not happening. But I have, I have two children who are becoming independent, um, adults who are able to, you know, deal with, with life's ups and downs as, as they come. Um, that's amazing. Um, we get along. I have a wonderful wife who is in recovery. Uh, and that is great. And, you know, things weren't so good for a while and we're still f- dealing with, we're dealing with what we lost during the time when things were not so great. We're dealing with the, the financial fallout, but we're dealing. We're paying down debts. We're getting our lives back together. The program lets me, encourages me perhaps to, to look at what, what is really happening, you know, not, not what could have happened and not what my worst fears tell me is, is going to happen. You know, what is happening right now? And that I think is, is how I grow out of my losses, how I grow out of the, the loss of the could have, the loss of, of what could have been, which is not really a loss. It's a loss of a dream. It's not a loss of anything real. Yeah. So I was going to close with another reading uh, from Opening Our Hearts, Transforming Our Losses, page 173, section titled Hope for Today. In Al-Anon, I've learned that despite all my losses, there is still hope. So much of our recovery in Al-Anon is about striving to live in the present moment. When we focus on today, we find that our fears about the future and our worries about the past no longer dominate our lives as they once did. By learning to manage this day only, we make a commitment to building a better life for ourselves. So after a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about the meetings we attend and what's happening in our lives. I'm going to take a break with the Green Day song, Wake Me Up When September Ends. And I'm listening again to this song, and it's 
it's an expression of somebody who is is in pain from from some kind of loss and is kind of hiding out and and there's a metaphor it uh, talks about how in the spring things were beautiful and and now it's september and i think summer is going away um and he just wants to sleep through september and it's very um very much the way in which i would deal with loss in the past is is to hide from it try to hide from it until until the the until the pain was over until september was over and uh You know, I don't think that really worked very well for me. So in this next section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in our meetings and in our lives this week. And, well, you know, the big event this week in my life was... uh, was the death of my daughter's friend. And, but there have been some other things going on as well. My meeting at the beginning of the week, Sunday night, uh, one of the members at the table asked uh, to talk about changes. Um, this member is facing a big change in their life coming up and is fearful about it. And and talked a little bit about you know how the fears are not about the change, the reason for the change, not about going on to a, a new life endeavor uh, which they're looking forward to, but more about you know, where am I going to live? Am I going to have friends? How am I going to learn to live in this new in this new place? And they recognize that spending spending hours on a website, um, you know, looking at housing listings for apartments in in the new city, and perseverating over it is is not is not helpful behavior, but it's happening. So wanted to talk about change, wanted to talk about how, you know, how do we move through change? How do we adapt with it? Um, how do we, how do we deal with the fear? Um, and um, several people uh, sort of talked about, yeah, they were, they, how they were facing changes and how they were dealing with it. And it was, it was a really good, uh, a really good meeting. We had some, some good program come out there. Wednesday, my Wednesday night meeting, first meeting of the first Wednesday of the month. So a person gave a, a long lead, sort of what we call a first step talk, what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. And this person managed, uh, deliberately uh, talked about what was going on in their life, in their feelings uh, during this time, and very little about the uh, the behavior of um, the addict in their life who who brought them, you know, whose actions brought them to the program, and it was it was really interesting to to hear it in that way. To this is this is what I did. This is what I felt. This is how I reacted, and very little about what was actually happening. Um, talked a lot about their own codependency. Talked about their their need to control, and I re, I was reflecting. As I was listening, I was reflecting about the way in which I reacted when um, when my daughter said, "I need to go back to the back to this place to be there for my friends." And you know, my thought was, as I think I said at the beginning of the show, my thought was, "Well, you need to go there to be there for yourself." But 
I didn't, I didn't tell her that. I didn't say that. I didn't try to correct her understanding of, of what she, why she wanted to do what she wanted to do. It was enough that she wanted to do it. I just said, yes, you need to be there. And, you know, and I will help you in this. I will drive you to the train station, even though it's the middle of the night and I have to get up early for work in the morning because this is really important. And it was definitely something that, that I could support. So when, when, uh, when, when my friend at the meeting was talking about controlling and about, um, you know, wanting to take on other people's feelings and, and fix them, uh, I was really identifying with very recent experience and seeing, seeing how I'm different now than I, than I was a decade ago. Pretty amazing. Had another, actually another death um, in in my circle recently, uh, a young woman at, at my church who was, I think, about 30, um, died, in, died in her sleep, um, apparently from a seizure of some sort. Um, and this woman did have health issues, but it's still, uh, it was a shock to hear. Um, again, I can reflect back on she was a, a fearful person, always had a smile for people, and uh, for her health problems, lived a very good life. Um, and it's sad that she's gone. But I can, again, I can move on. I can feel the feelings. Um, I can talk with friends about our mutual experience, and then I can move on. And I don't have to have it hold me back. So next week, I'm going to talk with one of our listeners who wrote to me and said, yes, I'd, I'd love to be on the phone by, uh, on the show by, by phone or Skype. And, and we communicated back and forth a little bit about, um, you know, time availability and so on and topics. And um, she suggested this topic, what brought me to Al-Anon and what keeps me here. So that's going to be our topic for next week. We will not be recording live because um, I'm still not feeling confident about being able to do Skype and Mixler at the same time. I'm really happy that, that uh, some of y'all are stepping up and saying, hey, I am, you know, I'd like to participate. I'd like to, to get my voice in there. Um, because the more voices we get in, I think, the more you as a listener can find something to identify with and, and, and bring into your life. But if you have thoughts about what brought you to al about why you're still in Al-Anon. I mean, I'm in Al-Anon um, 12 years now. Uh, my wife's been sober for eight and a half years. Why am I still here? Well, tune in next week and listen. And I'm sure you've heard me talk about why I'm still here uh, many times before, but should be it should be a fun discussion. In two weeks, I want to do the, uh, the topic, uh, which uh, I think we've abbreviated to stay or go. Um, this was proposed by one of our listeners. And uh, I'm, I'm requesting, uh, soliciting, um, asking, if you have faced this question of staying or going and you have um, answered it by doing one or the other, or if you're still struggling with it uh, and you'd like to share your experience, strength, and hope with other listeners on the podcast, you can send an email you can leave a, a voicemail if you can fit your thoughts into uh, you know a minute and a half to three minutes, uh, or you can 
send me an email and say, I'd like to talk about it at, in, a, in a longer format, and we can arrange a time uh, where we can talk over uh, phone or Skype. So I'd like to collect uh, a few stories and, and make an episode out of it, because I have my story, and my story involves staying. Other people's stories involve leaving, and we all have, we all did what we felt was right for us at the time, and what is right for us now. And I'd like to to have, you know, both of those sets of experiences. So, um, if you're struggling with this decision, um, you can hear what worked for me, what worked for other people, in in different situations, and and hopefully you can pick up something that applies to to your your struggle. So yeah, how how do you send us feedback? Well, you can call and leave a voicemail at uh, phone number seven three four seven zero seven eight seven nine five. That that number goes straight to voicemail. Um, you can call right now if you want, uh, because it goes to voicemail. Seven three four seven zero seven eight seven nine five. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation directly from your computer. Um, that one does uh, cut off after a minute and a half. Um, it does, at least the, the times I've used it, uh, it gives you this this nice little bar of progress and how close you are to to getting cut off. So you can and you can call back and leave more than one message, and I'll stitch them together. Uh, or uh, you can send email email to feedback at therecoveryshow dot com, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. If you have uh, thoughts or questions about this week's topic of loss, next week's topic of what brought me to Al Anon and what keeps me here, or uh, should I stay or should I go? And I'm not going to use that song. I swear I'm not going to use that song. That's an earworm. So all the information about the show, uh, with notes for each episode, Links to the music we play and, and other information is at our website, which is therecoveryshow.com. Just uh, hop on over there. You can uh, leave comments, um, suggest topics, and, uh, and join the conversation. I did get some emails this week, uh, but they uh, either read them already or they're uh, relating forward to the uh, stay or go topics. So... Um, no listener feedback to pass on this week. Uh, you can listen live as we're recording. I had a couple of people show up and, and uh, pop in and, in and out uh, this afternoon as I was recording. Just click on the Listen Live link at the top of the page. And when you're listening, you can interact uh, with us and other listeners in the chat room. And next week, we will not be live uh, because I'm, I'm doing it on Skype. But uh, check the website, and I'll announce the next, uh, the next live recording session there. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to the recovery show. We do have expenses, which are running about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. Uh, you can use the donation button on the website uh, to support us directly, just like Jennifer did. And, and thank you again, Jennifer, for your, your generous donation to the recovery show. And we have also put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link at the top of the page if you order one of these books from Amazon through our website. We will receive a small commission. In fact, anything you order from Amazon after you click on one of those links will help us. It costs you nothing extra, and it helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, including just listening. We are here for you.
I want to close the show with the song Hear You Me by Jimmy Eat World. I found this recommended on a website about songs for dealing with loss, and it says, Capturing the pain of loss in a remarkably graceful way, Hear You Me provides both comfort and understanding to anyone who is grieving. It conveys feelings of loss and confusion, but as lead singer emotionally croons the famous line, May angels lead you in, a sense of hope is also instilled. And uh, here's a little bit of lyrics. What would you think of me now, so lucky, so strong, so proud? I never said thank you for that. Now I'll never have the chance. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problem, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.